the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to another edition of The Ride Home with John and Kathy, live from the Salem-Pittsburgh studios. And now, here are your hosts, John Hall and Kathy Emmons. Hey, good afternoon, and welcome to the, uh, what is it, Tuesday? Tuesday edition yeah, of The Ride Home. It's probably not a good start. No, no. January 23rd, is the, uh, I know that. I know the date, but I didn't know the, anyway. I was thinking about this. Uh, would you ever buy Lazy Boy? Well, here's the thing. Mm-mm. They're extremely comfortable. But. There's the but. Right. But the uh, look aesthetic. is not quite what I was going for. That's exactly how but I feel. But they're very comfortable. 100%. I mean, you can't you can't fight with that. No. No. We, we had one growing up. Oh, did you? Oh, my, my mom. It's like. Oh, you know, yeah. She'd work, 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 work. And then all of a sudden she'd collapse into the lazy boy with her feet up. And you, <laughs> but I've been thinking about it. Like we have a, like a, a chair with an ottoman. Right. Which I love. Very nice. But then I think, well, I'll just take a step, step further. further and combine them. Yeah. But then I look at them and go. Well, mm-hmm. okay. Here's the third thing. Hmm. They're very expensive. They are. So yeah. you have to, it's, it's a serious investment. Yeah. Now they do, they don't all look like they did 20 I've, years ago. Right. I've looked at those as well. Right. right? There's a little streamlined mm-hmm. version of a lazy boy or it's a lazy boy. is kind of like a Xerox. It's like a brand yeah. name. Right. But the lazy You're boy. You're talking about like a cushy recliner. Right. Or something. I'm just talking about something I can put my feet up. Right. Oh, just any recliner. Kind of. Yeah. But then what do you buy? Well, a lot of recliners now, you would never know that they were recliners. Exactly. But again, that comes at a higher price point. Mm -hmm. Anyway, just thinking about that, Mm -hmm. you know. You know what's more important to me Hmm. is having a sofa I can lay on. That is very important. I never lay on the sofa. Either either does my husband. Never, ever, ever. Huh. I a not a day goes by when I don't lay on the sofa. Really, I very much like laying on the sofa. Do your cats occupy the sofa? Yes. So they lay, cat there, hair. they lay right there with me. But is there cat hair on the sofa? Well, I'm after that every day with uh, my little, little roller. roller. Yeah. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. I that's a continuous job for me. I bought my niece a, a a pet hair roller for Christmas. Yeah. She desired something. It's called a choo choo. I think. I don't know that. Yeah. It, it was like on. It's on Amazon. And I asked. You know. Uh, my family members, what does she want? And uh, anyway, he texted me the other day and he said, hey, did, you know, using the choo-choo, she said, aggressively. Yes. That's, she's, she's 10. Yes, that's what it is, right? You have to be after it. You have to take care of right. your pets. To lay down in comfort. Coming up on today's program in the five o'clock hour, have you ever wrestled with awkward stories in the Old Testament? You think? They're everywhere. They really are. They really are. So if you are doing like a yearly Bible plan, which I'm doing, which I am behind on by about five days. Oh, no. Yeah, Don't fall away. It's happened already. Um, 
and you get to one of those places, that can derail the whole thing. Of course. Right? You know, this is crazy so, town. Right, What's right, happening right, here? Right, right, right. So Carmen Joy Imes is going to be with us uh, from Biola University, and she's going to talk about how to interpret weird passages. Good. Like that. So right. I very much look forward to that. That's in the 5 o'clock hour. Also, uh, we're going to talk about some low-lift resolutions, which basically means some resolutions you can make for the year, which aren't huge. It's not like I have to lose 65 pounds or I need a new job or something. These are small things that you can incorporate into your day. But there are really good things. Okay. They, this is it's, it's an article that Get Pocket put out last week. And I am... Several of them I've already done without, with, even prior to reading the article. Nice. Minor so, adjustments. Minor adjustments. That's yeah. all they are. Also, Academy Award nominations came out today. Yes, good. And if you'd like to take a long view of parenting, we're going to talk about that in just a bit. Very nice. As we always do, we get underway. Despite the lazy boy talk, we talk about the news. Kath, please, without further ado, give us the top four at four. For Tuesday, January 23rd, John, 2023. Nope. 2024 is the. <laughs> I haven't made that mistake before, but I'm sure it's the first of many. Number one, New Hampshire voters known for their independent streaks are casting ballots today. Former President Donald Trump is the front runner for the GOP presidential nomination, with Nikki Haley hoping for an upset. The tiny town of Dixville Notch held its traditional midnight vote and handed Haley a small win. Uh, the former president. That is Mr. Trump pushed a get out and vote message saying he wants to win by big margins. Nikki Haley, for her part, says that she is staying in the race regardless of tonight's results. Uh, Trump leads most polls in the states by double digits. But we've already said live on the air multiple times that we hate polls. Right, John? Mm -hmm. Yes, please. Uh, We'll start getting results tonight around 730 p.m. From the Wall Street Journal. Number two, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin participated in a virtual meeting today, and it was his first public appearance since his weirdo secretive hospitalization. Uh, It was uh, with 50 nations providing Ukraine with military assistance, and he was on a live stream in a video conference. He did not mention his hospitalization, but did say that it was great to see everyone, that he was joining from home, and he's feeling good and looking forward to be back at the Pentagon very soon. Grateful for the warm wishes, et cetera, et cetera. Lloyd Austin is 70 years old. He was admitted to Walter Reed in Maryland on the night of January 1st following complications from prostate cancer procedures that happened on December 22nd. But neither hospitalization was revealed publicly by the Defense Department and the president of the U.S. didn't even know. It's from ABC News. Number three, thousands of records, John, including evidence logs from the Pennsylvania State Police's crime labs were accidentally deleted from state servers at the start of the year. Apparently, it was human error. At least that's what the governor is saying. Though the majority of records have been restored, according to administration officials, it is not clear or certain whether the remainder can be recovered. The data was housed on a bunch of servers managed by Shapiro's Office of Administration. At least one person has lost their job over the incident. In an email, State Police spokesperson Miles Snyder said the data mishap impacted two programs used by the Bureau of Forensic Services to log evidence and manage those submissions. Oop. Yeah. That's from Spotlight PA. You can read more about that in today's trip. And number four, John, things have been tough for coral reefs in the last few years with high ocean temperatures, but researchers have found a glimmer of hope. More than a decade of mapping and exploration has revealed, and they've announced it today, one of the largest deep-sea coral reef habitats found to date anywhere in the world. Oh, I like this. Yeah, and that is your top four at four.
Fabulous. Aren't they beautiful? Yes. You want to, So yes, where do you think please. this one is? It goes from Miami to Charleston, South Carolina. Get out. Yep. It's called the Blake Plateau. It's nearly the size of Florida. It's 310 miles long, wow. 68 miles wide, and is an area larger than Vermont. And it's intact. And it is intact. Oh, that's really great Yeah, news. it's mostly made up of stony, cold water, coral, commonly found pretty far down um, at the depths where there's no sunlight and the water has an average temperature of 39 degrees Fahrenheit. Fabulous. Excellent. Some of the deep sea coral reefs in uh, the globe have lived over 4,000 years. Hmm. Yeah, so they can get to be really ha- really tall, really beautiful, and that's really good news. Right. Well, you know, when the temperatures warm up, they get bleached. Exactly, which is why they've had such a tough time mm-hmm. over the last, you know, eight, ten years. Right. So this was, I think, good Excellent. news for everyone. Very good. Okay, we'll take our good news where we can find it. Okay, we'll take a quick break, come back. Taking the long view revolutionized my parenting. Laura Spalding will join us next about that. Stick around. Pittsburgh's Christian Talk. It's Word FM, the ride home. have two daughters who are both in their 20s now. Uh, one is a recent college graduate and one is going to be graduating soon. Um, but it, I mean, it's really shocking. Every, I know everybody says this, but things go so fast. It doesn't seem that long ago that they were five and three. Right. It really doesn't. And the one of the biggest problems I had when my kids were little was trying to be the perfect mom. I was either, I was trying to be perfect organizationally, or I was trying to be perfectly consistent in my habits, like reading to them or walking with them or whatever. When they got into school, I've already told you all about how I always (laughs) compared the lunches that I made for them to all of the... People I knew who would put these beautiful lunches they made for their kids on Facebook. Right. I just. This is my child's pate. It's. I'm telling mm-hmm. you, it was just really. I mean, God, dads don't feel that pressure. At least I, I, I no. never felt that pressure. Yeah. I'm doing. I'm just. So, here. so like when you did Cub Scouts with your kids, you never compared yourself to the other dads. <laughs> Not at all. No. <laughs> Yeah, just kind of hanging out, you know. Yeah. I was a cub master, which can just show up. That's all. Just so maybe it's a woman thing that we just tend to be insecure about motherhood because it's such an enormous job. Of course, I mean, a child is sprung from your body, right? So you exactly. want to do it right, and and then you add into the fact that women are probably more communal and more emotional, and then it just—I don't know—you can be off to the races. Well, to talk about these things and maybe to encourage all of us uh, to take a longer view of parents. We've invited Laura Spalding on the program. Laura's got four kids of her own. Uh, she shares her parenting journey on her blog and is finishing her MA in counseling from Westminster Theological Seminary. Laura, we're glad you're here. Thank you for having me. So you know what I'm saying, right, about the comparison? I do know what you're saying. And I, I do actually think dads have a different kind of perfect or performance or achievement that they're after with their kids. I, I think it looks different, but I don't think they're completely exempt from this. No, I, I agree. Right. But there is still some comparison. I mean, you're on the ball field with your kids or your Cub Scouts or whatnot. You're looking at the other dads and seeing how they're being a father and what. But, you know, it, it's different, I think, it's of course. Though. Right. It's a little more intense. The, the ante is a little deeper. But, Laura, in your piece in the Gospel Coalition, you write about taking the long view. Now, um, for young 
parents. I was taking my dog for a walk the other day, and I saw a mom. She was had a little baby in her stroller. She was taking photos. I imagine at some point they're going to show up on Instagram or whatnot. It's a different perspective now for younger parents than it was when we were raising kids, yeah? I definitely think that's true. Um, certainly when I was out there, there were no gender reveal parties. There were no monthly photo shoots that were being, you know, shared out there. So it's different in that sense. But I do think there were still a lot of pressures for my time and what was happening then to get it right. It looked a little different maybe, but definitely still there was a right way and a lot of pressures to do something the right way. And that's inside and outside the church. Yeah. 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 And I remember, uh, practically speaking, one of the pressures was to have a child that sleeps well. And if you didn't have a child that slept well, it was clearly your fault because you hadn't done the correct sleep training. Oh, yes. I I definitely remember that. Um, Part of getting it right then was reading all the right books. So I had read all the right parenting books before my kids were, you know, before the first one was born and had a plan what, you know, what to do about everything and Yes. Yeah, so, and so, books kind of started it. I yeah, think, but but now you're looking back and you feel like what? Do you feel like that was that was misplaced anxiety for you? For sure. But I don't think I think that um, it started with tracking sleep time, and then it turned to are we meeting all the right milestones on the milestone charts? Like, did we smile on time? And did I track it enough? And did I have I written? enough of these things down and then it starts school right like not only do you need to pick the right schooling model the perfect model whatever that might be for your situation but also the right school and the right extracurricular activities and the right everything and then as the kids got older the grades and the test scores became sort of the measurement um which then well and as you mentioned the sports teams and which team you were on or um just all the extracurriculars so that you could have the perfect college resume so that you've got that, you know, flag to hold up to say, Oh, look, our first day of school, first day of school pictures this year are going to be at this designer school or that designer school. So I feel like it's just continued. It looked different when they were little, but it just can kind of continued um, as we went. What, Perfect men. Yes. Perfect changes. Right. Okay. So as believers, though, right, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. it I mean, that's supposed to inform us. Right. We raise our child according to uh, I'll put this in quotes, biblical standards, whatever you, that might be, however you think that is. But that is a rule for us as believers. Right, Laura? So that is how I took that verse when I was I mean, it started out m- in my mind as that this is a command. If you get this right, mm-hmm. if you parent correctly, then your kids are going like there's there's a right way so that they will be godly and that they will stay faithful every you know, forever. Um and so when I began to dig a little bit deeper and really look into what that's saying and realize this really isn't a uh, warning or a command, do this or else, it really is is an invitation to Um, dig a little deeper and think a little bit deeper, not about what's right and wrong, but, or not about a checklist or a perfect or a right way to parent, but about knowing the child that's right in front of you and knowing and um, getting them set off 
on a journey, not your goal is not to get them into any college or any anything. I mean, our goal is not perfection at every age and stage of their lives. Yeah. Our goal is the long, you know, the end. It's utter perfection for all of eternity. Right. Laura, I'm going to ask you for some recommendations in just a minute um, as far as, you know, how we can think about parenting. But before we do that, um, I do want to bring up uh, the difficulty that you, you and your husband had finding out that your moms were sick. And of course, that doesn't happen. That never happens. There's no ideal time for that happening. But it's just uh, so much more demanding, I think, as far as emotional space and physical time when your kids are little. Um, so can you tell us that story? Oh, wow. Um, yeah, we very early we started. Um, my mom was diagnosed with terminal cancer um, two years after my sister died of terminal cancer. Wow. And she she lived she had at that time been functioning very much as, as like a nanny. We, we kind of talked about how for those years, those early years, we never once hired a babysitter. We had two amazing, very, very involved grandmothers. And so when my mom got sick and my mother-in-law kind of took over the reins of everything my, mo- my mom had been doing with my four children, and then when she passed away very quickly after that, um, within the same calendar year, my mother-in-law ended up being diagnosed with a terminal illness as well. And so there there were years of caregiving that were then followed by years of grief. And so all of the perfect um, parenting that I had planned to do was was really taken over by um, other people packing my children's lunches. I don't even know what was in my kids' lunches those days or what we ate for dinner most days was probably dropped off by our church family. And then the years of grieving when I, um, I, I, it was, those were hard years. And so the idea of there was a right way to do this kind of, it allowed me to step out of myself and see bigger, um, and allowed my kids to see bigger too, just what was really important and what really mattered because we didn't, I would have loved to be having the Pinterest birthday parties. Well, I probably had a few of those, but I would have loved to, to, um, been the perfect PTA mom and the all of the things and that just wasn't being able to step out of it I think gave me a little bit of a different view of it and allowed me to kind of take a little bit more of a long view so I do I I I, yeah those were hard years those were hard years we just um, just uh, Monday this week we passed the 20th anniversary of my mother passing, and we were talking about it at the dinner table the other day. And our kids are still here, and so uh, my my kids who are now you know in their early 20s, they were like, Dad, that was the first time we ever saw you cry, mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. scared me. But I also was able to understand you a little bit different, even though I was a little kid. And I think that was interesting because you know kids necessarily need to see us yeah. in our weakness in in our, in our grief. So I'm sure your family traveled that same journey, Laura. Absolutely. That is, um, yeah, I think, and I think that for some of, for especially the kids who were older at the time, um, my oldest was seven when my mom died. And so she was, I mean, my mom was like a second mom to her. And so it was definitely, 
you can see the ways that it has continued to really impact her. And my, my oldest is actually 20. And so my oldest two are graduated from high school, kind of on their next step of their journeys. And, um, yeah, so kind of in the same place as you guys in terms of where you are in your parenting. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, Laura, so we only have a minute or so left, so I just want to get a little, um, uh, some practical things for you from you, um, and you labeled that as vice for the road in your article, so we're not going to be able to, to um, talk about each thing, but I do want to bring up um, making wise preparations while holding plans loosely, because I think that's kind of what you've been talking about with the sickness of your mom and mother-in-law. Right. Um. I think just the idea of there not being a formula, there not being a right way. And as you kind of figure out your own situation, and that includes the unique qualities, the gifts, the limitations that your kids have been given, as well as the story that your family is living, like your own, your unique circumstances. Um, And as you look at that, recognizing that whatever that is, is God's good design for your children. So my children watching me, grieve, my children feeling those losses themselves at such a young age, my children growing up without any grandparents, like that is part of the preparation that God has prepared for their journey. And so we make, we make plans. And so we look and see what lights, what lights my children up, what stresses them out, where, what are they motivated by? What are the things that kind of make them tick. How did God uniquely design them? And then let's make preparations based on that. Let's not sign up for every extracurricular that could possibly be there, but let's really focus on the things that may or may not be how God wants to prepare them for the good works that he has laid out for them in advance. So as, as we prepare our children for whatever it is that is next in their lives, Um, helping them understand their limits, helping them be comfortable in boasting in their limits and their weaknesses, not making them feel like everything, you know, we're told that we're not citizens of this world, that we're travelers, that we're sojourners, that we're seeking a heavenly country. And um, yet, starting at the age of five, our children are all graded on citizenship. Like, are they good citizens? So how do we make them think about not what does it look like to be a good citizen of this world. Yes, we need to be able to um, do with what we've been given now, but ultimately it's not, that's not the goal. So they need to know that seasons change, that storms are inevitable. They have to be comfortable with uncertainty and um, we prepare them for these good works that God has prepared for them by helping them know themselves by knowing them and helping them know them, their creator um, and see themselves through the lens that the creator sees them through. Laura, it's been terrific to meet you. Thank you for being with us today on the show. Um, And for all of you listeners who are interested in more of this and perhaps some more details, check out Laura's article called Taking the Long View Revolutionized My Parenting and the Gospel Coalition website. Laura, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. In our last segment, we were talking about parenting, some of the pitfalls we can run into. But I also think that there are some milestones in parenting, and they don't have to be the big ones like graduation or, you know, marriage, you know, seeing your kid get married. I'm talking about things that kind of happen without you realizing it. 
uh, and I, I went through one of those uh, about three days ago. My my youngest daughter has been home since before Christmas for her college, you know, break. college break. So, you know, sh- we took her back on Sunday. But prior to that, you know, we've been living together, you know, for the last month, whatever. And uh, anyway, so uh, my husband's at work one day and uh, my daughter's downstairs. And uh, my husband and I, our bedroom is on the third floor of the house. Hers is on the second. So uh, she says, Mom, can I come up? So, yeah, so she comes up and I'm getting dressed while she comes up. So she comes up the steps and she says... What are you doing? And I thought, well, I'm getting dressed. Like, and I said, well, I'm get. I don't know how to answer that. She said, what is that? The way you get dressed? And I realized that perhaps my way of getting dressed is abnormal because she thought she said it was ridiculous and shocking. And I want to share it with you and. See what you think. Don't you hate when your kids critique Yes, you? that's what I that's what I'm talking I mean, about with Milestone. What the heck? When I get dressed, yeah. John, I, and I'm putting on a pair of pants. Yeah. You've heard the saying, you know, everybody puts their pants yeah. on the same. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was true. I put my right leg in to yeah. my, my pants. Yeah. And then I put my sock on that leg. <laughs> and then I put my shoe on that foot. What? What? <laughs> And then, wait, the entire time your left leg is dangling out of the other pair. Yeah. <laughs> That's an odd visual. I think she was I think she was correct. That's how I do it. Yeah, okay. And I like it. And you know why? Hmm. Because <laughs> when I'm done with the second leg, tell me. I stand up and I'm ready to go. Of course you are. Yeah. Okay, I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> I can't stand putting pants on and then having to Socks. bend over and then so I hate that. I don't like that. I like to start a job and have it finished. Sure. So I'm going to start the right leg and then it's done. And then I'm going to start the left leg and then it's done. And then I jump up. And there you go. I'm good. I've never thought of that. I just it's I mean I just put my pants on, then I put my socks on, then okay, I put my so shoes on. Okay, so you've never thought of it that no, way either. No, no, no. Okay. <laughs> Lexi, have you ever considered anything like I'm that? I'm looking at Lexi's was, reaction. No, I, I don't think I similar. have mm. ever heard that, actually. <laughs> no, no. How long have you been doing this? I mean, a, many, many years. Really? Since you were a child? And, here's the, and she's like, what does dad say about that? And I thought, what does dad you know, say? well, Eric's an early riser. Yeah, so he, he's he up. Well, he, I mean, we don't dress at the same time. He's been dressed for four hours yeah. by the time. So he, I don't think he's ever seen it. He's never seen it? I don't think so. Never, had, had no, I, he's no never what, said anything about it. You might want to share that with him. Well. I'm going to tonight. Yeah, of course it. Uh, so neither one of you guys are with me on no, that. No, I know, I know. I, I love the idea that um, the entire Word FM family now knows how you get dressed before your husband. Yeah, <laughs> I know. There's something weird about right, that, right. right? Well, well, that's because I just assumed that there were other right-thinking people who would do it in the same way. I mean, <laughs> I get it. But the idea of, like, you know, uh, one leg totally bare while yeah. you have your shoe and your sock on the other leg just seems a little odd. I I just again look at it as I'm starting a job and finishing it. <laughs> One side is done. One side is done. Top to bottom. Done. Okay. Done. Left side done, and then we're out. Well, you know what? Yeah. I'm gonna try it. <laughs> 
You might like I'm it. I'm going to give it a shot. You might have changed my life here. Mm. I mean, who doesn't like to have a job well done? Thank you. But then what happens? Has there ever been like a time where like something interrupted you and you were like hobbling around with one shoe on and one leg sticking out of your I mean, pants? like if the cat throws exactly. up or something. Yeah, there you and go. Then I, that, has, that has so, often happened, actually. So then what happens? Well, then I just kind of make it, I hurry it up and like make it work. Okay. But it's never caused me to change my approach. Right. Someone yelled fire and you had to run out of the house like that. I mean, <laughs> a whole other predicament, I would say. All right. Well, thank you for sharing that. I mean, I just, I didn't think it was anything worthy of note until a couple days ago. And now I thought, well, gee. Okay. The kids know, right? Mm -hmm. What what did she say? What? What are you doing? That's harsh. Over these last several weeks, I've been watching football. And of course, you see the ads for the uh, Royal Caribbean new boat. It's called Icon of the Seas. It is enormous. Uh, it is five times as large as the Titanic. Uh, late five times as large. Mm-hmm. It will hold more than 7,000 passengers. That doesn't sound like fun to me. Boy, that that's kind of gross and scary. And the ads themselves look like it's you know just a party, party, party. But I, I don't want to spend my vacation with 7,000 other people on a little boat. It's, I know not it's not a little boat. But still. I, I can't believe that that's, it's that big. 7,000 plus people. Okay, so there's an article in the Wall Street Journal that travelers who like to cruise, they have a secret that they choose older, smaller ships that are inexpensive, less amenities, but a much more enjoyable experience. Oh, okay. All right. How about those ships you see? What are those, like, you know, uh, it's like, you know, the sailing vessels? Oh, yeah, the tall ships. Yes. I mean, that would be kind of interesting. Like, well, yeah, except that, talk about no amenities. But, but here's the deal. I don't, and I'm not trying to be, like, snobby, but I don't want to, like, spend my vacation with a bunch of strangers. Well, yeah. In close quarters. Yeah, well, if you're, on, if you're on a tall talk. ship, you're going to have to, yeah. like, if you're... <laughs> If you're the crew, you're going to have to know everybody. I don't know. Okay, so smaller ships. Um, okay, these are not tall ships. These right. are cruise ships. So here's some uh, Vision of the Seas. It began service in 1998. It doesn't have the niceties of the newer ships. Uh, but I don't even know what the niceties of the newer ships are. Who knows? I, see, you and I have never taken a cruise, yeah. so we kind of poo-poo it. Uh, such trips are cheaper. A seven-night sailing on the Icon of the Seas started at $2,536 a person for an interior stateroom, a three-night cruise to the Bahamas in early September on the Utopia is $827 a person. For three nights? Yeah. Okay. That's pretty cheap. Because that includes all your food. A four-night cruise to Cozumel, Mexico, out of Tampa on the grandeur of the seas, the cruise line's oldest ship, 519 a person. Wow. Five mm-hmm. nights for 519. Four nights. Oh, for four, four nights for 519. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Other cruise companies have introduced gargantuan vessels in recent years. We just talked about that. Um, but you can go cheaper, apparently, if you're so inclined, right? Uh, you could pay less than 300 bucks to sail on something called the Celebrity Equinox, which uh, has been in service for three for 15 years. Uh, a four-night trip for 300 bucks. What? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so does that mean it's really crappy? It might be. But it's only for a short while. Right. Four nights for 300 bucks? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember years ago, I was thinking, you know, I traveled to Europe by myself, and I wanted to travel like on like a, a freighter. 
you can do that, right? You know, you're just like steerage, yeah. basically. And you can do that super, super cheap. Can you? Which would be a blast. Yeah. No amenities. You're like, you're eating with the crew. Right. You kind of like, that thing still exists. Yeah. I would, I kind, would do that. I would kind of like that. Yeah. <laughs> when I was in Europe, uh, I went with a group and we did something that I would never ever have even known you could do, which is you can stay at convents. Oh, sure. Uh, and they're all over Europe, right? And I thought, well, this is going to be really awkward. First of all, it's not awkward at all. And second of all, it's really nice. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is. it doesn't look like a hotel. No. It's... But it was very clean, and it was super comfortable. Was like The beds room? were wonderful. They were doubles. Double bed. They were doubles. But two people stayed for 50 bucks. Per night. Uh-huh. And you can't beat that. You cannot beat That's that. That's probably cheaper than a hostel. Yeah. I've stayed at hostels. Yeah. Oh, what's that like? <laughs> it's a mixed bag. It depends upon, you know, where and when, basically. Okay. I mean, it can be, a, you know, a crazy town, but it also can be, it's also very Spartan. There's never any meals that are included. Okay. Um, it's okay. I mean, and, if you're in a pinch. And when you stay at the convent, your meals are included, by the way. Very nice. Were there nuns? Uh-huh. There were nuns. Yeah. In Germany. Yeah. Oh, I'd love to try that. Yeah. It's really interesting. And you end up in amazingly old buildings. Yes, I'm sure. That are historic and the grounds are lovely. I mean, I, if I went back with my family, we would definitely do that. I liked it so much. Can you book those in advance? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Interesting. If you were going to travel, like, you know, say you were going to travel just you and your husband and you were going to, you know, I'm going to focus on going overseas. Um, money was still an issue. Where would you go? What part of the world would you I think I to? would go to Croatia. I would like to go to Eastern European. Really? Yes. Croatia is supposed to be a very inexpensive uh-huh. trip. And it's right on the Mediterranean. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. I mean, it looks absolutely gorgeous. The, the capital city, which I can't think of right now. I'm sure people are wrecking their cars right now Sorry. because they're shouting at the Who radio. Who knows the capital of Croatia? Well, you would know the capital. Lex, can you look up the capital, the capital of, Croatia? of Croatia? Zagreb. That's what it is. Oh, of course. Um, <laughs> came to me. Anyway, it, it was a walled city. And so you can walk around on the ramparts Whoa. of the entire way. That'd be cool. And it's right on the Mediterranean. I mean, it is so beautiful. So I think I would go there. Uh-huh. Where, where would you go? Well, I... <laughs> This is weird. Uh, one of my sisters, when she got married, went to Romania, uh, mm. went to Transylvania. Really? Yes. Because it was their first time out of the country, and it was cheap. And so, Okay. You, was it creepy? It has to have been creepy. It. No. No, I'm sure it's beautiful. What's well, Transylvania? No. It's like, oh, that's a Hollywood Transylvania, right? Well, isn't that where Bram Stoker was from yes, or something? Right, but still. I mean, and then once you're there, then the train systems and Yeah, know, I know. That's what you can go nice. anywhere. You can just go anywhere. Heck yeah. I mean, I guess if I were picking a trip, I'd probably pick one in Western Europe first because I think it might be easier to get around train-wise than course, Eastern. Right, I don't right. know though. I wonder could you do a vacation for 3 grand? For both of you? Yeah. Excluding airfare. Oh yeah. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Yes. Spend a week. Now, could you do it including airfare? No. No, no, no. Airfare's it's expensive. Depends on where you're flying to, right? What if you're flying to Transylvania? Because <laughs> who's flying to Transylvania? I don't know, right? Right. You got to fly into a hub, right? You're going to fly into London or right. Paris, and right. then you're going to you know go from the second stopover, or you just jump on a train. 
Which I would are, love to. I would love to have enough time to figure it out. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Which is just the way that uh, that we in America do vacations. You just don't have that. If you were going to do that, remember the old days, and, and they've sort of come back in vogue. Maybe they never went away. Your travel agent. Travel agents are coming back. Yes. Listen, I was just talking to to a friend of mine who left his job and has decided to become a travel agent. What? Yes. How do you do that? He's going. He just went through all his classes. He just uh, Sunday was doing his um, like I don't know what kind of official kind of like whatever whatever like the bar exam would be for a travel really? agent. Yeah, he was doing that on Sunday, and. Yeah, because the thing is, if I use a travel agent, I don't pay the travel right. agent anything. The travel agent's paid for by the, the hotel yeah, or, the, sure. or the airline or wherever it is. So it's free. Yeah. Like so, AAA. AAA I mean, I used agents. to use, when I used to travel um, for business, I would always use a travel agent. And then all of a sudden, when the internet really right. kicked in, then it was like passe. What do you need a travel agent for? Well, now that we've all had the internet for all this time, we're like, uh, could someone help me? I need a travel agent. Somewhere to go, right? Some, somebody to sort of grease the wheels for us. I mean, what do I know about Zagreb? Nothing. I mean, I'm, I could watch 100 YouTube videos, which I, of course, would do. But it would also be good to have somebody who has connections. Right. I mean, years ago, I, I went to Europe by myself. I was just, you know, a, a young, dumb what kid. What did you have planned out when you left? Nothing. Nothing. Really? Not a thing. mm I flew into London, and then I was just going to make it up as I went along. And I did. For how long? Six months. That's awesome. And I met people. That's and, so you know, awesome. just kind of bummed around. I really envy you doing that. Yeah, it was that. excellent. Really, really good. I mean, it was once in a lifetime thing, because I mean, I had all that time. Right. Right? I had this broken ankle that, I, you know, was uh, waylaid me for months and months and months and months. And I was like, when I get done with this thing, I need a little, a little sort of like an excuse to just go away. And that's what it was. And I just bummed around. So when you got to London, were you like, were you scared? No. Were you overwhelmed? No. Were you... No. Just kind of like, okay, now what's the next step? So and, then what was the next step? Finding a place to sleep that night, yeah, right? Yeah. And, you know, initially, I, you know, I kind of like lived it up a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, I'm going to stay in a nice hotel. Yeah. Yeah. And then I met some people and they were like, oh, we're going to do this. You want to come along? And I was like, yeah. And, you know, it just kind of wandered around. I went to the museums. I went to the, you know, the, the castles and, you know, did that whole, you know, English thing. And then I went to Ireland. Then I went to Spain and Portugal and just kind of like made it up. Mostly it's just kind of like connected with other people, especially on the trains. Because mm. it was, you know, you had a backpack and you just kind of went, okay, I'm going to, I loved it. I would do it again in a heartbeat. But I, but the idea of staying in a convent, that's yeah. very much like that. It's very nice. Because I stayed in hostels. Yeah. Um, but the convent, it's very interesting. It's quiet. Yeah. Which is great. And I'll, I mean, the only, I only did this in two countries, so I can't speak for all of Europe. But it was just so much n Way, way, way nicer than I ever expected. The only thing is if you don't have a car, they are way off the beaten path. Sure. So, so you're, you're not going to be able to take a train. A, a it would something. be very hard to take a train to get to these places mm -hmm. because you'd be you'd either be walking a long way or you'd have to do Uber or whatever, which I didn't do in Europe. See, I'm surprised that the convents are in operation. I that there is, you know, a religious order yep. of nuns who are there. Now, the nuns, they weren't taking care of the facility, were they? Uh, or was they jobbed they, out to somebody else? No, they were running it. Like the, the nuns the, were? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, this what? was in the southwestern part of Germany. Um, 
I stayed in, an, in another one in the northern part of Germany, and that was not a working convent. Monastery. Convent, yeah. Yes. Um, so that had that, and that was, I mean, six hundred years old. Mm-hmm. I mean, but it's it's very cool. And so their way of keeping up these incredible buildings is by having sure, people come in. Right. Right. Yeah. It was, it was very very nice. In our house, pie is king. <laughs> it's just how it is. Yeah. I mean, the, the birthday comes. People say, well, would you like a birthday? People say, my wife would say, would you like a, a, a cake? She knows better, but she's mm-hmm. just being polite. Mm-hmm. We're going to have a pie. So when, you know, it's my birthday, I get to choose the pie. The holidays, the pies just, you know, come our way because my wife's happy to make a pie. So there's no cakes in your house? She likes to have a cake, but I prefer a pie. Okay. But so she'll make a cake, but given the preference... Pie is rules every time. Wow. Okay. For you, you want cake. I always want cake. Really? Yes. I mean, I like pie. We're talking about this because it's National Pie Day. National Pie Day. (laughs) Thank you. God bless you and your pie, sir. I would like, though, to extol the pie right now. Yes. Because it's delicious. My number one pie, of course, is worthy of glorification, the lemon meringue, which is the absolute epitome of pie. No, wait. You're saying it's your number one pie. Is you're saying the Eaton Park lemon meringue or your own homemade? No, I've never made it. I don't care to make it. Why? Because I, I make a lot of things and I'm happy. I love to cook and bake. The Eaton Park lemon meringue pie is everything a pie should be and no. I don't need to make it. There's a huge disconnect between like a pie factory and a homemade pie. Right? Why are you calling Eaton Park a pie factory? Because it is. It's not a It's pie. an industrial it's scale. Sure it is. Sure it is. It's it's industrial scale, it's you know, creation scale. of pie. But it's not like we're making like bowling balls and this is the Mr. Rogers like portion, you know, where they're going to show you how It's not like that. Kind of John. the thing. No, I bet there not. is like that if you look back in the Don't you think uh, I wonder how many pies Eaton Park makes a day in the industrial kitchen? I'd like for someone from Eaton Park to call us. Perhaps we can get them on the show so we can talk about it. 800-320-8255. Exactly. Seriously, they have to make how many pies? I don't know. 500? That's a factory. Well, for I don't but here's the thing. 300? I don't know. All I know is who was ever making the lemon meringue pie has achieved absolute perfection with it. I, I don't think so. Yeah. Okay, what's your favorite kind of pie? Apple. Followed apple closely pie. by cherry. What about you? Mean like the um, the Dutch apple with the crumbly no, on top? No, no, no. Mm. no. <laughs> They're so dismissive. No, I don't want that. Just give me that straight. Um, my wife's apple pie is fabulous. Okay, and are you going to eat it hot? If I can, with ice cream, with Perhaps. whipped cream. Sure, sometimes. Just uh, really though, just give it to me straight. Really. Mm-hmm. And what about the cold version, like Lovely. the next day? Fabulous. Look forward to it with a cup of coffee in the morning. Oh. Mm-hmm. That's the thing about pie. It can very easily be breakfast. Oh, of course. Pie is the perfect food. Pie is delicious. Anytime, day or night. <laughs> I mean, even like, you know, you could go further like um, a meat pie or a quiche pie, right? It's the same thing. As long as there's crust involved, bottom and top, it's a pie. I love like a hand pie. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, sure, they make sure. the hand pies at um, Burger Joint. Or a butter joint, pardon me. Yeah. Um, in the uh, north part of Oakland, and it's just like a little, it's like a sandwich for you, but yeah. it's filled with savory, hearty goodness. Mmm. <laughs> 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 
Happy National Pie Day, Lex. Happy do you like yourself National a pie? Pie Day. I do like myself a pie. And what mm-hmm. kind? Uh, I'm a pumpkin pie. I'm pumpkin. very seasonal with my pie. Seasonal only. Yeah. On your birthday, cake or pie? Oh, ice cream cake specifically. Oh, really? ice cream yeah. cake. I was. Like I have a, a summer birthday, so yeah, a uh-huh. DQ ice uh-huh. cream cake is peak. Uh huh. Not opposed to that. Mm-mm. Wow. Okay, pumpkin pie is an absolute delight. And I'm going to put that as an extremely close second to lemon meringue. What about pumpkin pie like at a Sam's Club or Costco? Nope. Failure. Nope. You have to. That's about the simplest pie you could ever make. Welcome to another edition of The Ride Home with John and Kathy, live from the Salem-Pittsburgh studios. And now, here are your hosts, John Hall and Kathy Emmons. Hey, good afternoon. Greetings. Thanks for coming along for the Tuesday edition of The Ride Home. It looks like a little warmer weather is coming our way. It's nice out. Is it I mean, it 40-ish? doesn't look nice, but when I came to work, it was 43. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Like, you know, if this was like 43 and it was like October, you'd Yeah, go, you'd be freezing. Oh, my gosh. But I'm telling you, I walked out. I didn't button up my coat. It feels good. I was like, I'm here for it. Okay, so this morning, in the early, early hours, the 2024 Oscar nominations were oh, uh, yeah. unveiled. Right. Now, we get a lot of pushback on this when we talk about the Oscars. Of course, because it is Hollywood, and, and Hollywood cra- is and Hollywood. They're, and they're all crazy. They are crazy. But they continue to make... Things that fascinate. And here's, I, I just, I always remind myself of this. Artists are, have always been crazy. Yeah. In every culture, right? Yeah. An, art, an artistic temperament is just a different type of thing. So I don't have that, but I, I, I like to honor people who have it. Well, you have that. An artistic temperament? Yeah. Well. Do you think? Yeah. To some degree. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Well, yeah, I, I'm not saying you're crazy. Yeah, <laughs> oh, that's a relief. Right? I mean, um, so the Oscar nominations. Um, now, looking at this, you know, my wife and I, we, we go to the movies you know, almost weekly. Yeah. And so we've missed a few of these. <laughs> when I saw this today, I, I showed, hey, look at it. You know, check she was like, oh, we got some films, more films to see. We were like all excited. Um, so uh, let me see here. Let me find a list of uh, what the nominations are. I'm sorry. I should have had this up here before me. Um, and I thought I did, but I don't. Um, Oppenheimer, of course, uh, which to me, uh, I mean, it like dominated. Uh, Oppenheimer has 13 nominations. Okay. 11 for Poor Things, which I missed and my wife have seen, and 10 for Killers of the Flower Moon. Um, well, so Maestro, not up, or Maestro, pardon me, it, is not up there. Uh, it was nominated. I was happy to see that. I really, I was. Um, Maestro is nominated for Best Picture, but it's not like, you know, sort of running the gamut. So uh, if Maestro was in a different year. I don't know. Without I, Oppenheimer, I wonder. I, I don't understand what the, you know. What the backlash is of of Maestro? I really don't. I mean, I just know that I liked it. Okay. So uh, let me find this little listing here. Um, okay, here it is. Uh, best live action, uh, best editing, best feature. Okay, uh, no, no, best feature, best documentary short, best uh, picture. Here we go. Okay, best picture includes um, American Fiction. I've not seen it. Anatomy of a Fall. I've not seen it. Barbie. Right. Seen it. Saw it. Loved it. 
The Holdovers, saw it, loved it, loved it. Yeah, I haven't seen that. Killers of the Flower Moon, saw it, kind of meh. Oh, really? You thought it was meh? It was okay. Uh, long? Mice, very long. But it didn't feel long, but okay. it's a long film. Uh, Killers of the Flower Moon, Maestro, loved it, loved it. Uh, Past Lives, have yet to see it. Poor Things, saw it, uh, very interesting. Oppenheimer, liked it very much. And The Zone of Interest, we'll see that this week. I got to be honest with you. Have you seen? Three of those I've never heard of. Well, that's no surprise because they roll out, you know, this is what happens. The films open in New York or Los Angeles to be be available for the Oscars, and then they'll come across the country slowly. So some came early, early on in the year and have long since gone. Some are still in theaters. Some are just now coming our way. So it's a mixed bag. So what's the last one? Oh, the zone of interest. Yeah. So what's that? The zone of interest is, I've talked about this. This is a story of um, a family who the father works in the gas chambers of World War II, and the family lives right outside the gates. And they go on like... This is our typical family, la-di-da. La and they know what's going on, but they... They ignore it. Right. Right. So the zone of interest okay. in theaters right now. As a matter of fact, we were looking, we'll go see it tomorrow night. My wife's like, hey, it's almost sold out. So mm. the word is out about this okay. film. Uh, best director, um, zone of interest, poor things. Uh, Who's poor things? It, it's uh, Yorgos Lathamos. Okay. Mm-hmm. Never Christopher heard of her Nolan for Oppenheimer, Scorsese for Flowers of the Moon, and uh, Justine Triet for Anatomy of a Fall. Best Actress, Lily Gladstone. Now, she's making history because yes, she she's is. the first Native American to be nominated for an Academy Award. And she already won the Golden Globe for that role. Yep. Uh, Carrie Mulligan, who was fabulous in Maestro. Emma Stone for Poor Things. Annette Bening. For Nyad, which I've, I know nothing about. So how old would Annette Benning be? Probably 66, 60, okay. somewhere in that ballpark, you know, late 60s. Uh, best Actor, Bradley Cooper for Maestro. Paul Giamatti for The mm. Holdovers. Cillian Murphy for Oppenheimer. Jeffrey Wright for American Fiction. And Coleman Domingo for Rustin. Those are the big ones, right? Actor, actress, mm-hmm. uh, film. So, if you were going to give an acting Oscar, I hate that. I know. I mean, would you? Okay, would you pick Paul Giamatti from The Holdovers, or would you pick Bradley Cooper from Maestro? It's hard. I mean, what Bradley Cooper does in Maestro is just—I mean, it's epic. How he embodies it. Plus, I mean, and this comes with a caveat. Maestro is not for everyone. It's weird sexually because Leonard Bernstein was weird sexually, but he tells the story. Um, <clears throat> the symphony, uh, the interaction, that's off the charts. I mean, it's a deep, deep dive into someone's life. So to me, I, I would award him. At the same time, Paul Giamatti for The Holdovers, I loved it was light and, and funny and odd, quirky, ultimately heartbreaking in some ways. Okay, so it seems like that's not the kind of movie that's normally nominated for an Oscar. No. So what raises that one to that level? His performance. Okay. And the story itself is so unique. It's a throwback. It's something that they don't make today. It's an unusual film. 
Anyway, if you like movies, the list is out. And so what we do, we print the list out, and then we go, what have we missed? Because I want to watch it. Mm-hmm. I kind of, I, I just, it's. I know Hollywood is weird, and I don't want to apologize for it. It's just something that's. It is what it is. Fun and interesting to me, and it's the pinnacle of of artistic creation on the movie screen, which I love. We were talking about evangelism in our small group the other day and um, what that's like to invite people into the journey to know Jesus and the gospel. And and, and generally the consensus is you don't want to invite someone in and have the New Testament be sort of like first dip in the pond. Mm. Because the Old Testament, as beautiful and brutal as it is, there's also a lot of strangeness in it. There is a lot. It is an ancient book and there's a lot of weird stuff. Yep. Carmen Joy Imes is back with us. She's been a guest of ours over the years. She has a piece uh, in CT, Christianity Today, called Wrestling with Awkward Stories in the Old Testament. Cringeworthy passages can derail our yearly Bible reading plans. Carmen, welcome back. How are you doing? Hey, great to be with you guys. Okay, so the first thing that this presupposes is that we're reading the Bible. Yes. <laughs> right? That is an assumption. Yeah, but I but I think it's important to say because um a lot of people profess faith in Christ but don't read the Bible. Yeah. And mm-hmm. um and so I think that I just want this to be an encouragement to everyone out there. You don't have to be intimidated by it, you don't have to be overwhelmed by it. Um but mm-hmm. reading it, just getting familiar with it is just I mean, it'll change your life. It really mm-hmm. will if you just sit down. Your eternal and read it. life. Yeah, your eternal life. Uh, but it's going to change this one too. Uh, so, so anyway, that that's my soapbox as far as just reading the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, but the second thing is, I love that in your article in CT, you said that we should engage with difficult passages, and like John said, there are many. In the same mm-hmm. way, Jacob interacted with the angel in Genesis thirty-two. So, can you tell us that mm-hmm. story and how it applies to difficult passages? Sure. Yeah, it's an analogy that I think works really well because Jacob is on his way back to see his estranged brother Esau. Their relationship has been complicated. They did not leave on good terms. And Jacob's coming back and he's really nervous. And the night before he meets Esau, he's encountered by this divine messenger, an angelic figure. And the two of them wrestle all night long. And at the end of the of their wrestling, as the sun is beginning to rise, the angel is trying to leave. <laughs> and Jacob says, I won't let you go until you bless me. And he recognizes that he's in the presence of God, that he's ex- that that he's encountering someone who is from another realm, you know, someone strange and wonderful and someone who represents the Almighty. And he knows he needs God's blessing to go forward. And I think that's the position that we're in when we are encountering these strange stories in the Bible. If we take the Bible to be the Word of God, we know there has to be a blessing in here somewhere, that this is God's Word to us, but we don't always know how that works out in practice. Mm -hmm. And in my own experience, if I take that posture of not letting go of the biblical text until I see how it is a blessing... Um, that has been such a good guide for me because I think we we bail too easily on the weird stories. We're like, man, I don't know what's going on here. I, I'm just going to walk away. But if we cling to it and we wrestle with it and keep trying to understand it, there is a blessing for us in it. That's good. 
So, Carmen, good. I, I like this. So it's not as though I'm going to read that story of Jacob and Esau and go, oh, I, I get it. Uh, you're saying you've got to take time to read, think, consider, wrestle with mm-hmm. that story, pray about it for, I mean, whether it's hours, yeah. days, weeks, or months, it takes a while to, for things to settle. Yeah. Yeah, and I think some of that involves just our own meditation and prayer on the biblical text, but some of it is just the practical work of crossing a cultural and time gap that separates us from the text. So accessing resources that help us understand the historical and cultural context, considering where is this story in its, in its like, where is it literarily? What comes before and after it? How is it functioning in the book as a whole? Um, those are the kinds of things we do in English classes in high school yeah. and college where we're analyzing literature and trying to read it well in its context. And the Bible is literature. And so we need to do it with the Bible as well. Mm-hmm. I think the first thing that, you know, as I've walked uh, with people through the initial stages of Bible reading is they're not prepared for the fact that it's an ancient document. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And that seems that that's obvious as the Old Testament, after all. But you have to know that going in. Like, this is not something that was written in 1900 or 1800 or 1200. Like, these are very, very old. um, And that does not make them invaluable. In fact, to me, it makes them incredibly valuable because they're telling me things about their time, but also things that are outside of time that are just as Mm -hmm. applicable to my time. Um, So so I think that historical and cultural context is is the perfect place to start. Yeah, and I think maybe we're not helped by the fact that the Bible comes to us leather-bound yeah, in book right. form with yeah. gilded edges, because then it seems fresh and modern as if it's answering our mm-hmm. questions directly. Um, maybe we should all carry around old scrolls instead. <laughs> so <laughs> when we read them, we would we would automatically be reminded, this is a very old book, and yes, it has relevance to us. Yes, it's God-breathed, uh, but we have to do the work of entering this ancient context to, to really grasp what it's saying. Hmm. We're talking with Carmen Joy Imes. She wrote a piece in Christianity Today, wrestling with awkward stories in the Old Testament. Carmen, uh, one of the things that I really love in the piece is that you talk about reading the stories in the Bible with a, a community, and not only a mm-hmm. community, but a diverse community, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, people come with, with different perspectives in their life or their age mm-hmm. or their income or whatnot, and you get a little sort of mix of different perspectives and opinions, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, I think um, we have we all have blind spots when we come to the biblical text. There are things we're not going to appreciate or not going to notice because of our own social location, because of our life experiences. Uh, we're just trained to notice some things and not notice others. And that's one reason why reading with a diverse community of interpreters can be so helpful, because other people are going to notice things that you missed or they're going to have life experience yeah. or expertise that is more closely aligned to the cultural context of the Bible, and they'll be able to, to point out maybe the reason why something is happening the way it is. Okay, can we uh, put these things into practice and talk about a wacky passage? Absolutely. Okay, so this is one that you pulled out, and it's wacky, okay? It so is. this is, it's Exodus 4, um, mm-hmm. so tell the story. And then let's go into how you would approach it. Okay. 
So this is uh, Exodus 4, verses 24 through 26. I'll go ahead and read my own translation of it because it's short um, so that you can get a sense. If you read it in the NIV, it fills in or, or another modern translation. It kind of disambiguates the story. But in Hebrew, it's quite an ambiguous story. So here's how it reads in Hebrew. Now it happened on the way where they set up camp that Yahweh met him and sought to put him to death. This is talking about Moses. Moses is on his way back to Egypt to carry out the commission God gave him at Sinai. And it says, Yahweh met him and sought to put him to death. But Zipporah took flint and cut the foreskin of her son, and she made it touch his feet. And then she said, you are my blood relative. So he drew back from him when she said blood relative because of the circumcisions. Whoa. So there we have it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So the first thing that we would, if we're going to take your prescription, the first thing we would recognize is that this is an ancient document telling an ancient story. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. And so we have all sorts of questions to answer about circumcision and the role of circumcision and questions that we might have about, okay, so did the Midianites circumcise? Um, Because Zipporah is a Midianite. Did the Egyptians circumcise? Like who's doing circumcision and why? And why, that my burning question here as I come to this text is, why does Moses have uncircumcised sons? He is a descendant of Abraham. Uh, that is the sign of the covenant. He's now going back to Egypt to lead the covenant people out. And he's going to require of them that if they want to participate in the Passover, which is the impetus for leaving, then they have to be circumcised. So he can't very well go back and do that if he hasn't himself complied with God's demand. So so there's this bigger cultural question of circumcision that points to the underlying identity question of Moses. If you think about Moses' life, he was born a Hebrew, nursed by a Hebrew mother, but then adopted by the daughter of Pharaoh and raised in an Egyptian household. And then he flees and goes to Midian as an adult and marries a Midianite and takes up a profession there. So Moses has a very uh, hybrid and ambiguous identity uh, that he seems unsettled with himself. So I see this story functioning as a way of solidifying who is Moses, where Mm -hmm. does he belong? That has to be settled as he's headed back to Egypt, because God has just announced, and here's where the literary context helps us. If you read the part just before this strange scene, God has just told Moses uh, that Pharaoh wouldn't let his firstborn son go, that namely Israel. He says, Israel is my firstborn son, but Pharaoh wouldn't let my firstborn son go. So I'm going to kill his firstborn son. And so we're getting a preview of coming attractions of this, the death of the firstborn mm-hmm. and how it's a just reward for Pharaoh's imprisonment of the Israelites. And, and yet Moses is on his way back into this with an uncertain identity. Is he an Egyptian? Is he a firstborn Egyptian? We don't know. And if that's uncertain, then he himself is at risk when he goes back. He has to be on the right side of the covenant for this to work. Okay, I never thought of it that way. I never I never also looked into this passage. I, it's one of those passages that I would read and cringe yeah. and say, mm-hmm. boy, I have to figure that out someday, and then we'll yeah. just pass over and move on. But, okay, but there, yeah. now there's another question. Why was I mean, God had already 
been with Moses at Mount Sinai, mm-hmm. right? The whole burning bush happened. Why, did, mm-hmm. why is God going to kill mm-hmm. Moses? And he changes his mind. Yeah. Um, it's interesting if you set this story alongside a couple of other strange Old Testament stories. So we have the Jacob story that we just talked about. Yeah. Um, and when he leaves his father-in-law and journeys to meet his brother, there's an uncertain reception. He doesn't know how he's going to be received. He's bringing along his wives and his sons, and he encounters God in the middle of the night. And although he's spared, he leaves that encounter injured. And so now we have Moses, who left his father-in-law. He's journeying to meet his brother Aaron. He's not sure how he's going to be received in Egypt. He's bringing his wife and sons on a donkey. He encounters God, and his life is uh, is being threatened. And we can set alongside these two strange stories, the Balaam story, right. where Balaam, this pagan, journeys to the Israelites. He's not sure how he's going to be received. He journeys on a donkey. He encounters God, who's angry at him and tries to kill him. Like, So we have three stories in a row here that are boundary-crossing stories, where it seems like the protagonist has an uncertain relationship with Yahweh that needs to be clarified and made certain. And so God's encounter, his threatening encounter with them is a way of saying, you need to make clear where you stand with me Mm. if this is going to work. And so Moses, like, so did God actually intend to kill Moses or is he, uh, is he confronting him in a dramatic way to say, whoa, dude, you are not ready yet for this. Uh, you have not yet made clear that you're a covenant member and that your family belongs to the covenant. And if that's not settled, we can't do this. Uh, You have to be all in. And so similarly to Jacob and Balaam, God is checking to make sure Moses is all in. Hmm. That's so good. Carmen Joy Imes is with us. She's a professor of Old Testament at Talbot School of Theology at Biola University. Carmen, our time is up, and it's unfortunate. I mean, there's so much here. But I just have Mm. to ask, because you are an Old Testament scholar, as you go about your life, you have to think about the world differently than what we would, just regular Mm. people. Do you ever Mm. dream about the Old Testament? (laughs) I don't. I, I don't dream about the Old Testament, but I do think about it a lot. And in any given circumstance in life usually reminds me of something in Exodus <laughs> because right. I'm writing a commentary on Exodus. So I'm in it all the time. And, and that's why I had to wrestle with this text. Uh, I had to somehow explain it in my commentary. And so I, I just wouldn't let it go until it blessed me. That's so good. That's so, I, I really love that approach. Esau Macaulay's the one who uh, let you in mm-hmm. on that. Yes. I heard him talking about this, um, uh, using the Jacob story as an analogy for Bible reading. Yeah, and I thought, that's it. That's, that's what really, we need to do. That's really, 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 really good. Okay. Wait, and I, I just have to, I know, I know our time's almost <laughs> up, but I have to say one more thing, which is that I was just out with two friends uh, in the last week, and um, they're from a more non-denominational uh, church background than I, mm-hmm. than I am. And mm-hmm. neither one of them ever have read or, or read the Old Testament. They just ignore oh, wow. it? It's just they didn't even know, like, they're believers in Jesus, but they never mm-hmm. knew that they were supposed to read the Old Testament. Uh, it's like you mm-hmm. see, like, mm-hmm. Bibles with just the New Testament, yeah. which yeah, is yeah, crazy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Carmen, I guess yeah. on your way out, like, it just, does that. that surprise you? Uh, I'm not terribly surprised by it, but it is saddening. Um, 
you know, Paul says all scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. And when he says that there is no New Testament. He's he's talking with Timothy about the Old Testament. And if Paul thinks it's useful, then I want to read it. Yeah, that's excellent. Well, boy, I've really enjoyed this conversation, Carmen. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. That's Carmen Joy Imes, Associate Professor of Old Testament at the Talbot School of Theology at Biola University. You can check out this article, and I, both of us highly recommend it, Wrestling with Awkward Stories in the Old Testament. It is in the current issue of Christianity Today. Does this make sense? Does what make sense? Black and white movies. Now, now I Don't know that get... I've given you a softball. Oh, my gosh. But, well, first of all, answer the question. No. I mean, it's, I mean, it's just, yes, a, a thousand percent. It makes, makes perfect sense. I mean, it's 2024. Why? why mm-hmm. Some people won't watch movies in black and white, which is just mm-hmm. sad. I mean, I think most people. That's ridiculous. <laughs> it's really stupid. I'm sorry. It's just uh, uh, every ounce of contempt I can throw at you on this, I just will. And don't get me even started on silent films. I mean, that's just sad. I mean, I bet 0.05% of the populace would ever watch a silent film. Oh, you're missing. I, I, <laughs> I just, it just makes me crazy. Please watch silent films and watch black and white film like it's some hardship and watch movies and subtitles as well. Okay. <laughs> why why do you love why why do you love them? Because stories come in all shapes and sizes and just because it comes in black and white what, that somehow ruins the story for people? It's an art form. I mean, black and white and gray and all these different mediums of the color scheme of black and white, that tonal difference, it it informs the story. It makes the story. And it's pre-color in many ways. I mean, they make black and white films today. One of the greatest black and white films of recent history is Schindler's List. And there's a little element of color in there. Maestro is in half black and white and half color. Just watch films. Just watch movies. I mean... Okay, I, I think it makes sense too, but I, I don't even need to say anything. All right, sorry, it. sorry. They, they, okay, they, I'm going to go the opposite direction. This is totally ridiculous, Mark. Does this make sense? Drapes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, drapes change a room. Drapes, first of all, are beautiful. Second of all, they're softening. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of hard edges yeah. Yeah, and, and 90 degree angles when it comes to windows. Also, you people don't recognize how much it adds to the ambiance of a room because it takes some of the sound out. Mm-hmm. You know, there's sound deadening. Sure. So it makes a room more cozy. It makes a room closer. Drapes are, it's, I'm like, how could you not have drapes up? Fabric, the fabric of it all. The right. fabric of it is so, it, talk about Your an choice. art form. Mm-hmm. I mean, the the fabric of a drape, I think, is probably, in my mind, more important than any other fabric you have in the room. Oh, yeah. I just think it's that it can be lustrous, it can be contemporary, it can be cool, it can be warm. It can, I mean, All goodness, right. of course you have to. So, what's black and white films? And, and put please, up some would drapes. You put up some drapes? <laughs> Whatever those blinds are that you have up, they would like a friend. Right? We've both hit our hard spots today.
So we're close to the end of January, John, and this is the time when the people's, the the general person's New Year's resolutions are fading. (laughs) Right. We gave it a good 20 days. Exactly. So they made it 20 days without sugar or with, you know, I don't know, exercising or whatever it is. Um, And so I was kind of looking around uh, the web for uh, ideas and some stuff we could talk about related to New Year's resolutions. Mm. And I came upon this article that I think really had a lot to say. This is from GetPocket.com. And these are 12 low-lift resolutions to try if you need a do-over. Now, we're not going to obviously talk about all 12. Um, But there were a couple things here that I thought were worthwhile. So this is the kind of resolution that is not big. So it's not like I want to buy a new car, sell my house, move to Portugal. I'll never eat sugar again. Right. Lose 50 pounds. Right. It's not that kind of thing. These are just, they're calling them low lift resolutions because okay. they're not going to alter everything about your life, but they might alter more than you think. Minor adjustments. Minor adjustments. Can I share a couple yeah, with you? Yeah, please do. Okay. The first one is stretch every day. So even if you don't work out, even if you never work out, mm-hmm. stretch every day. Mm-hmm. And if you go to getpocket.com, they list the stretches that they think are good. Now, you can and, – and I think that they make a good uh, – I think they make a good argument. A couple of these, as someone who does stretch every day, I, I probably wouldn't – I don't think – the point is, stretching every day is a really wonderful thing to yeah. do. The older you get – of course, you lose muscle mass, but you need to have flexibility because yeah. your body tightens up, mm-hmm. right? And you're right. more susceptible to falling because, of course, you have less body mass. And as we get older, our, our balance is kind of funky. Stretching helps to rectify a lot of that. Yeah. I believe that's true. Yeah. So, so that was the first one. And I, I give that a, a hearty yes. Now, this one made me laugh. Hold your phone the right way. Okay, so I'm picking up my phone. John, you're picking up your phone. So how do you hold your phone? Okay, so the way you're holding your phone is actually a healthy way to hold it. So John picks up the phone, and he grasps it with his four fingers on one side and his thumb on the other. Yeah. But apparently, a lot of people put their pinky on the bottom. Oh. So you have kind of three Uh fingers. Oh, Lexi's doing that. Lexi, is that what you do? That is indeed, and I know it's not right. That's right. Well, also, that really stretches the hand in exactly. some weird perspective. So it's really not good for your hand to let your phone, especially now that we have bigger phones, to let your phone rest on your pinky like that. So if you have a um, like a pop socket, that is apparently a great. Because What's a pop socket? It's one of those ones you put on the back of your phone, oh, and oh, you can oh, kind oh, of oh, put oh, it no, between sure, your first sure, and sure, second sure, finger. Yeah. yeah. Um, but... Yeah, you can you can get yourself into a lot of hand issues by letting your phone rest on your pinky. I think I have hand issues regardless. Well, there you go. Your phone. And the article does go into other issues you can have with your ulnar nerve, um, with your forearms, that sort of thing. Texting, right? But definitely, phones. don't let your phone rest on your pinky. Okay. Okay. Um, they say casually check in with your friends more. So just texting your friends and yeah, saying, "Hey, I'm yeah, thinking about yeah, you." Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. I think that's, that's okay. really important. It is true. It doesn't have to be any big deal. Hey, man, just thinking about you. What's going on? I just had a friend uh, today reach out to me. She just moved to the other side of the state, and we've been friends since college. She just sent me a text this morning. Just saying, hey. I mean, I I, I think that that's really Texting makes it so easy, right? I mean, the old days you have to phone calls or, you know, send somebody a letter or whatnot. Right. Just five lines or whatever. Right. Okay. Now, this one is going to require a little bit more... 
maybe discussion or explanation. But this is talking about dividing your day into different quadrants to be able to get more things done at a time when you're ready to do them. Okay, so listen to this. See if this would apply to you guys. The first two hours of the day are for high-intensity, high-impact work. Those are the things that are most important that you're paid to do, and they require the most brain power. Okay, so this could be the time to write a proposal or create a new business strategy. But here's the big flag. This is not a time to get your email. First thing in the morning. Right. Oh, I'm doing that. So do I. And once I read this article, I thought, wait a minute. Why do I do this? So they're saying you're actually at your best. When you after after you've gotten ready, I'm not saying the minute you get out of bed, but like coffee, settle down a little bit. Right. So you are wasting your best brain power on the dumbest thing. Now, not that every email is dumb, but a lot of your emails are. Clutter. And at least they don't require a lot of brain power. So just their recommendation is to just kind of skim them, see if there's any ones that are really important, Mm -hmm. but leave them till later. How much later? So uh, I'll come to that. (laughs) I'll come to that. The second quadrant of the day, that's the next two hours, is dedicated to high-intensity, low-impact work, which doesn't mean that it's not important, right? This is the time to have maybe a one-on-one meeting with somebody. Um, Or if an employee or a friend needs advice or input on a situation, you have kind of gotten yourself all of the parts of you in gear, right? So maybe you're, you're... in a better emotional state than you were first thing in the morning. You said that yesterday morning you felt terrible. Dark. Right. Maybe around lunchtime you're feeling a little better. Maybe it would be a good time to have like some kind of conversation-based thing or time. The third quadrant is right after lunch. This is the perfect time to do things that have to be done but aren't necessarily requiring a lot of brain power because you're probably getting a little tired. This is the time to do your email. Oh, after lunch. So late. Right. It is late, but you've skimmed in the morning, right? Right. So you've, you've flagged things that are really important to do. But if you're just going through the drudgery of your email box, right after lunch is a good time. Okay, that's good. All right, okay? I'll take that. The last quadrant of the day is perhaps when you can have the greatest impact because you're wrapping up your day and you're tying up loose, de- loose ends. So... The person who's writing this for FastCompany.com says, whenever anyone feels overwhelmed by their schedule, it's out of control, or they feel like they can't do it, I always have them start in the fourth quadrant, rethinking how they end their day, Hmm. so you can set yourself up for success for the first two hours of the next day. Oh. So get your clothes out. Mm -hmm. Uh, Listen, put your shoes out, Lex, so you can get your pants on the right way. Mm -hmm. Okay? But doing more things before you go to bed... That will make your morning better. That's last quadrant. Okay, good. That helped me reading that article and talking about it that way. I'm going to do the email thing. I'm going to wait till later. Really? Yeah. I'm going to wait till later. I don't know if I can do that. It makes me too anxious. It's all right. All right. Just an idea. Thank but you. Okay. Here's another one. Brush your teeth properly. Yes. I know it's a big thing for you. I like to brush my teeth. I know you do. And you're very intent on how to do it. Yep. So you should be brushing for two minutes. Mm-hmm. 30 seconds per quadrant. Break it down. Right. I have a quip. 
which you are the one who told me that you. I should get a quip, and then you got rid of right. yours, which I was got a, whatever, something else. What, I don't know. What's the other thing? The, the big big name, whatever it is. You know. I don't know. Whatever it is. I have a quip. Jeez. Anyway, so it, it breaks it down. It breaks it down. Seconds. So at 30 seconds, there's a break, oh. and I know I move it to the other side. Yeah. So that's the first thing. Is you're supposed to do it for two minutes. And of course, you should do it in the morning and before you go to bed. But here's the thing. Do you know that you're supposed to, when you're finished, spit but not rinse? Yes. So you do that? Well, sometimes I do because the spit, then what's the residue continues to do its work. Right. So that, they said it's like giving your to, right. your teeth a little, a extra, flor, a little fluoride treatment. Right. Yeah. Lex, do you do that? Spit, no rinse. Yeah, I do that. Do you? Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. Nice. Because, I mean, every little bit counts here, right? Right. Do you... Do I, my dentist is a good is a good person, but I do not look forward to going to the dentist. Nobody looks forward to going to Some the dentist. Some people do. Really? Right. I love my dentist. And I Man, love the I love I everybody at that office. But, but I don't want to have any dental work done. I don't want to like go and hang no, out. Are you and do kidding this, me? Right? No, I don't want to do that. Okay. Here's the next thing. How much time do I have? Okay, we're doing well. All right. Um try different seasonings. Try different seasonings. Try different spices. Try things that are outside your comfort zone. Look at spices that maybe are used in different types of cuisine from different parts of the hmm. world. Okay. Maybe it's a condiment that's in your spice cabinet that you never use. Right. You can, with the internet, you can say, you know, things with, uh, recipe with cumin or recipe with coriander okay. or All whatever right. that's, it is. That's interesting. Something like that. Um, and so... In the article, this is at getpocket.com, there are all sorts of different spices listed. And some of them are are particular spices that are particular to different parts of the world. Other ones are different, like, uh, combinations of spices Hmm. um, that are, in fact, cumin, I I just saw it popped up. Cumin, used to season everything from boiled eggs to roast lamb. Ground cumin and salt are the staple of Moroccan table condiments. Hmm. You add heat without too much flavor. So that, or what about paprika? It's big in Romanian cooking. Really? Um, yes. Uh, uh, let's see. The author of the cookbook Carpathia uses the smoked version alongside salt and pepper. You put it on potato salads, omelets. So when she has her salt and pepper, her third thing is that she has her paprika there. Interesting. Talks about Chinese five spice, uh, all sorts of different things. Anyway, okay. I like that. That's yeah. trying. Something, I would not do that normally. Right, trying something different spice wise. Okay, that's cool. Right, and the last thing that I would say is um, chip away at organizing your digital photo library. Uh, With all the pictures uh, you have, a lot of them are crap. So instead of going through and saying I'm just going to keep the good ones, that's I think that's too high of a bar. I like them. I would go through and try to get rid of the bad ones. So I've been doing this over the last several weekends. I take an hour here and there, and I put on a podcast or something, and then I just go through and I just, like, I'll pick 2007, and I just go through and I just ditch, 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 ditch. Mm. So I haven't, I mean, I feel like I've gotten rid of probably 5,000 photos doing that just in the last two weeks. So I need a new phone soon, and I've been looking at the amount of photos on my phone. Yeah. There's like 6,000 photos. So it's time. Right. That takes up more space than anything, I'm sure. Okay, those are all good tips. Isn't it? Thank you. Well, here we are in the dead of winter, and I think sometimes you, at least, you know, wandering minds go to Kennywood. Mm Mm-hmm. 
which made me go there when I read this article last week. Now, there's a woman who is suing Kennywood. This was in uh, last week's Trib, alleging that she got second-degree burns after the hot cheese from her potato patch fries dripped onto her hand. Oh, for heaven's sake. Uh, I'm not going to name the person. I mean, it's, it's out there in public. She was at the park around 545 on July 2nd of 2022. When she Isn't ordered there a statute of limitations on hot fries? Cheese, uh, right, or on cheese burnings? 2022, when she ordered the fries, when the employee handed her the fries, the complaint says, the cheese dripped onto her right hand, severely burning her skin. The complaint was filed Friday, last Friday. It alleges negligence. Negligence. And said the potato patch fries should not have been serving food too hot for human consumption. She says that she had suffered second-degree burns, blistering, and permanent scarring. Mm-hmm. Kenny would decline comment. That seems... That is so frivolous. 2022, Good and now you're filing grief. suit? Look... I feel like that's just something, that's a risk you are undertaking by waiting in line for potato patch fries. The fries are hot, right? Everything's, you're waiting in line for hot food. Yeah, the day's hot, the fries are hot. Are you doing cheese on your fries? Not usually. Need a me. No, no. If you do, what do you, what, what's your go-to? Uh, so I am, if, so if I'm at the potato patch? Yeah. Then I'm going to get cheese. No. Okay, but I want it on the side. Mm-hmm. That's the only place, mm-hmm. that or the O. The O's gone. Yeah. Uh, but otherwise, I will go to their variety of salts. Oh, really? They have the garlic salt. Uh, yeah. They have the onion salt. Mm-hmm. They have, I very much like that. And I'll even uh, dip in, of course, ketchup. I can't ketchup, believe I didn't say that. Ketchup. Ketchup is the thing. Only ketchup. Oh, really? You're not going to do any nothing, of the salts? Nothing. What about vinegar? Mm. You're not doing My that either? My kids will do all that stuff, and I'll, sometimes I'll do a little dip there. But mostly. But you're just, right. Ketchup has to be. That's the, the only thing yeah, I want. Right. Give me the standard. You're absolutely right. Right? And speaking of that, uh, my husband, he's a hes a, a music teacher. He was doing a uh, an activity for his kids that had to do with hot dogs. And so we were discussing them. Ketchup, music, yeah. music and hot dogs? Yeah, it's just a thing. Okay. Ketchup on a hot dog is the most delicious thing. I don't think so. And I apparently am, like, that's appalling to people. I don't want is that. Is that people would put I love ketchup. ketchup, but I don't want ketchup on a hot dog. I don't under, I, I, I don't think either. it's so perfect. They're no. so perfectly mustard. made mustard. together. Really? Mustard, pickles, relish, maybe if you want that, some onion. But never ketchup nope, on your dog. No, nope, no, nope, no. Nope, oh, nope. it's so good. No, all over my hamburger, oh. for sure, but not on my dog. Really? Mm-mm. But cheese, a second degree burn, Look, permanent scarring. The, like, the point is, I'm sorry, like nobody meant to hurt you. That's just really overreacting to something that could happen to any person and is a risk you take being out in the, you know, crush of humanity. How big is the scar? I mean, how hard? And if there's only one scar and it's on your thumb, well, you're pretty lucky. The Ride Home with John and Kathy, a production of Salem Media Group. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.